All right, all right. It is the first official episode that is longer than three minutes. So that is something to celebrate. Um, right now, I'm literally recording this the night of recording my first episode. The little trailer bit that's on the Spotify or whatever landing page you're on. And that was pretty fun and exhilarating, really like hitting the submit and everything and doing the damn thing. Because, yeah, that's the scariest part. So now that I've started, who gives a fuck? I already saw like some support and some people I didn't expect commenting and viewing stuff. So that made me super happy to see people are enjoying it so far. And thank you all for the love and support. I love you guys. But yeah, to get us started today, the episode is going to be kind of a conjunction of what I'd like to do in the future episodes. So I'm going to be talking a bit about pop culture and kind of relating it to self-improvement and self-reflection in my own life. So I'm going to be touching on my theater girl era, which honestly lasted a while and I'm surprised it didn't even continue into college um, if you ask me but I really loved that era of my life I think it really defined who I was when I was younger I wasn't a very athletic girl some would say so theater was my strong suit I wasn't really good at dancing even though of course uh, obligatory taking ballerina classes, hip-hop classes for some weird reason um, that I guess kind of came in handy eventually at frat parties. I don't know. But anyways, I'm going to relate this to kind of the whole scandal, not even scandal, but just the outrage surrounding Rachel Berry, I mean Leah Michelle being cast as Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. I know a lot of people have a lot of hot takes and opinions on this news. I know that I almost felt a little conflicted. I was really happy at first just because her getting that role was kind of just a way of me living vicariously through Rachel Berry and her being able to go on Broadway And that being her whole goal in the Glee series is just crazy because it was literally the epitome of the TikTok noise when worlds collide. Like, it was just so unreal to see that news because so many people were speculating about it. But it's just one of those things where it was too good to be true. But also kind of a nightmare just given how much Leah Michelle is known as not a train wreck, but... Like, she's very talented as a performer, as a singer, as soon as... I have to admit this. I'm sorry, guys. I have to admit this. Uh, As soon as I heard that she was cast as Fanny Bryce, I literally jumped for joy just out of pure reaction as a gleek. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But, of course, obligatory. I had to rewatch the... um, I think it was the regionals episode at the end of season one of Glee where she first sings Don't Rain on My Parade from, of course, Funny Girl. And that performance will forever be ingrained in my brain. I think as a theater kid, I just really resonated with her performance and being able to kind of 
be the underdogs as the new directions i don't know it was just really a defining scene and especially getting to know rachel berry's character in that um show i think that scene was just super like telling and who she was going to evolve to be and then it was full circle when she actually got cast and now in reality so honestly it was kind of nice to rewatch that but then i'm kind of hurtled back to reality and how much um, white women are actually very problematic in Broadway in general, unfortunately. So um, Leah Michelle, if you don't know, has had many uh, meltdowns um, and difficulties working with her. Um, I honestly won't really go into the details just because I'm not that educated on it. So maybe I'll touch on that in, the, in another episode. But She's just notoriously known to be very difficult to work with. Um, uh, It seems like she's not really a team player and will kind of like take up time with her meltdowns when like other cast members are waiting and things need to be done. Um, At least that's what I heard from Naya Rivera. She had a book, um, May She Rest in Peace, before she died. she kind of divulged some secrets about this time on set when they had this whole scene, I think, with a lot of dogs and just a lot of unexpected things were going on on set that day. And Leah Michelle had an absolute meltdown and locked herself in her trailer. And apparently involved in this story, there was some girl who was like a huge, huge Glee fan who was waiting to meet Leah And Leah just never came out of her trailer. And so, I don't know. I think that's just, like, one example, since I don't know the other details, of how she kind of um, was very difficult to work with. And I don't really know how she'll be with the um, Funny Girl cast. I don't really know much about the Funny Girl cast, honestly, with the revival after um, Barb is like no longer in the cast. I'm not really sure who else is involved. But I do know the way that Sue sees it is that she dropped out of Funny Girl as soon as Leah Michelle was cast, which is so humor to me. Like, of course that would happen. And I feel like that's an even more full circle moment of like Sue and Rachel Berry have real beef in real life. And that's just hilarious to me. I know that they're real people, so it shouldn't be that funny. But... If you're a Glee fan, you'll get it, and I hope you can relate to that. But yeah, so pretty much a part of this episode, I just want to speak on who Rachel Berry kind of signifies, and especially with her character growth throughout the series, um, what that kind of means to me, and how I almost saw some of that reflected in my own, you know, personal growth as an adolescent, I guess. And involved in that is also just sort of advice I would give to my younger self um, because that is kind of what this podcast is about, advice that I would give to my younger self and kind of reflecting on all the different eras of my life, even though I'm still very young. Yeah, so let's get started with this little unraveling my theater girl era segment. Hi, my name is Rachel Barry, and I'll be singing On My Own from the seminal Broadway classic, Les Mis. Fantastic, let's hear it. 
All right, so here starts the sub the segment of me diving into my self-proclaimed Rachel Berry era, aka my theater girl era. So this era began, who even knows at what age, but I think my father realized that I wasn't really athletically inclined, or maybe he just kind of wanted me to be in the realm of acting and singing because that's what he was into. I don't really know, but I do know that I was enrolled in the YMCA drama camp for many a years when I was young. I think I started off sometime early elementary school, and I remember one of my first roles was in the Jungle Book production, and guys, literally guess what character I was. I'll give you a second. Okay, the character that I was, you wouldn't even think of, it was the fucking coconut tree. Like, How did they even work that character into the script? And then I had a solo, which was really dope. But I really wish I saved that whole, um, like, playbill and script because that was actually such an iconic play that we put on. It was so hilarious how I was literally singing as a coconut tree. Thank God my costume, at least from my memory, it wasn't like that god awful. Like I wasn't, it wasn't as if I was a tree in the background. You know what I mean? Like at least I had lines and I sang a little solo. So yeah, so definitely wasn't Rachel Berry at that point, as you could tell. But So this is how I kind of started off in drama. Um, I knew I really loved to sing and not really dance, but I loved to act. And so that was my strong suit. I definitely felt more comfortable just acting in front of a crowd rather than having a long-winded solo or something. So in general with drama camp, we kind of had the option because it was camp we could kind of rank our different choices and we obviously had to like audition actually in front of everyone. So it was in front of our age group. So there was like drama one and drama two. So I would literally audition in front of all my friends, which was like my worst nightmare and made me want to throw up. So that definitely was a lot for me because I was kind of dealing with a lot of stage fright when I was younger But that's why I wanted to include this segment. I think that having a theater girl era really helped with my personal development because like with this podcast, I had to really just rip the band-aid off and go for it because if you don't just go for it in theater, it's as if you're, say, like trying to go into like freezing cold water, like a polar plunge, right? But with a polar plunge... If you go in gradually, that is the most painful thing. Like, I don't think anyone that is a sane person would go in very slowly into a polar plunge. No, you have to go in all at once to be able to kind of get over the body shock. And then, you know, you run out eventually once you're done and you're filled with so much relief and excitement. And you're like, how the hell did I do that? And maybe even you like went numb and probably blacked out because you were like, I've never done anything like this before. Um, 
And honestly, the polar plunge kind of feeling is equivalent to going up and auditioning in front of a whole crowd of people and also just acting and singing in front of a whole crowd of people, like on your own, especially not just when you're an extra. So that for me was definitely a character growth time. Um, With drama camp, I eventually worked my way up to getting bigger roles. So I remember at one point, one of my first roles was like the ugly stepsister or something because like I wanted some lines at least because I knew I could act like I knew I had that down but I just like doubted myself in terms of holding a crowd for like longer than a couple minutes because I was so scared but pretty much eventually I got the role of Toad in Frog and Toad because honestly I think that character of Toad I felt so comfortable in as an adolescent or not even an adolescent I was a preteen um I think I was in middle school at the time or something like that honestly I couldn't really tell you but I felt really comfortable with Toad because it was in my vocal range so I didn't feel like I had to like strain my voice like with other musicals we did as Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, All of those roles really catered to sopranos and people that didn't have like a lower hanging alto voice like I do. Um, And then at Kent, of course, I was an alto too, literally equivalent to a bass. So, you know, it just shows the range. Um, But yeah, so that was my first little big break in my own mind while I was growing up. It was being Toad in Frog and Toad. And then ever since that moment, I think once I experienced that, I think I got maybe one or two more bigger roles. I couldn't even tell you in drama camp. And after I was too old to be in drama camp, I did this thing called Teen Adventure, which was more of like fun little field trips and classic day camp. So then I eventually started getting involved in the Paper Mill Playhouse near my house. And that had a bunch of different acting classes and musical theater classes. And so thankfully, I had the privilege I was being able to take a musical theater class and then an acting and improv class. So those were great because honestly, improv, I don't think I ever would have really been able to do that on my own accord if I didn't just go for it because improv really, it pushes your... It pushes your limits when you're someone who likes planning ahead, is very type A, and can't really go with the flow, like me, of course. I'm a Virgo, very type A. So I think with that experience, I was able to kind of show myself what I was made of and what I was capable of. And I think everyone honestly needs an experience like that in their life. So I honestly felt like I experienced that again recently when I took my humor writing class, um, senior spring, because I was forced to, I'll talk about this more in a later episode, but pretty much I was one of two girls and I had to perform all of this comedy writing and my stand-up routine in front of a whole bunch of men. So obviously very different humor styles, but experiences like that with improv, I really felt like I had I was forced to go with the flow. I had to really be on my feet. One of the huge things in improv and acting in improv is that you have to say yes. You can't say, no, I'll be this other character. 
if it fits with a scene and you're asked to jump into a scene for an improv sort of exercise, you have to say yes. So they say, you say yes, and I'll do this in this scene. I'll put on this performance and be this extravagant character because it goes with where the plot is headed. So pretty much honestly, what I'm saying with this improv experience is it helps me to say yes and to not really come up with excuses for myself like I felt like I really did in drama camp at times when I held myself back from really trying to audition for those bigger roles. Um, Obviously, you're competing with other people, so other people aren't always going to push you. You have to be your own biggest advocate. And that's just a life lesson, especially um, now, as I've seen as a woman trying to go into the entertainment field, you have to be your own biggest advocate because at the end of the day, in life in general, you're your own best friend. So you just need to be a yes man at times. Third times, definitely to say no and preserve your energy, but improv really taught me I had to be a yes woman. And so, okay, after this little improv and musical theater class era, Oh, also side note, in the musical theater class, so funny. We each had to perform like a final um, musical theater rendition performance um, for the whole class. And so I was the only low alto. And this man, I'm really concerned whether he just didn't know enough other low alto songs. Or maybe during this time when I was younger, there weren't many. But... He assigned me the song, I'm Not That Smart, from The Spelling Bee, which if you know that, okay, guys, if you haven't heard this song, look it up, okay, maybe, or after this episode, or right now, look it up on another device and play it for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, and you'll get the idea. When I first heard this song, I was like, what the fuck? Is this a joke? Does he think I have a male voice? Which... I guess a low alto does technically have a male sounding voice, but it was just really ridiculous for me. But eventually, with performing that song, I felt so comfortable in that range that I was able to really express myself through the musical theater performance aspect. And it was honestly kind of like a full circle moment because with Paper Mill Playhouse, I was really starting to push my boundaries with my comfort zone with acting and singing. Um, Just doing that whole class on my own. I had no friends. I didn't know anyone else going into it. So (laughs) doing that song, it was really full circle because it was kind of reflecting on how in the past I didn't want to really challenge myself and I thought I wasn't that smart. And then at the end of that song, he kind of realizes, like, I forgot what exactly the lines are, but he comes to a revelation. Like, I am who I am. Like, I can't fight that. Like, Uh, I am Gretchen, so who the fuck cares about anything else? Um, So yeah, continuing off of this timeline, after doing musical theater and improv at Paper Mill Playhouse, then I started to get involved. This came with um, my boarding school time. So I went to boarding school freshman year of high school till senior year of high school. So During this time, I was actually, my school required us to at least try out for, I think it was two sports a semester or a trimester. Oh my God, what am I saying? Two sports a year. So 
um, and there were trimesters. So I pretty much decided, okay, I'll try some sports, even though I knew I wasn't athletic. So we'll see how that worked out. But I tried out for field hockey. I'll touch on this experience another time. And then eventually I started doing the winter one acts. So my freshman year, I did dance, which wasn't my strong suit and very anxiety inducing, but also another way for me to get outside my comfort zone. But yeah, so sophomore winter, we had the winter one acts with um, the theater program at my school. And that was all just acting and it was one act. So for me, I was like, okay, even if I have a bigger role in a one act, the maximum amount of time one act is, is literally maybe 30 minutes or 25 minutes. So it wasn't that overwhelming for me to kind of picture myself in, you know, maybe one role out of two roles in a one act, which seems like a lot, but I really felt at that point after Paper Mill Playhouse and all the other experiences I'd had prior that, you know, like I'm capable, I'm just going to see where this thing takes me. So eventually I started, um, I actually did the one X the next year again, and I got really large roles. I forget what exactly the names were, but I remember um, one of my large roles was actually this um, one act with two women and I think they just strike conversation on this train. It was a really interesting concept. I hope to find it somewhere, but online. But pretty much my character was this woman who had, I think, given up her daughter like at a young age. Um, So something happened. She had to give up her child for adoption. And the woman she was sitting next to had adopted the child. And so I think they start getting on the topic of the other woman's adopted baby. And then I think my character slowly started realizing that that was my child. And the other lady started kind of badgering, asking questions. It was a really dramatic and serious one act. But honestly, that is definitely one of my most favorite roles I've ever had. Because you really have to really put yourself in that mindset of what it's like to give up a child. Even though I was literally in high school, it was so fun to really just make that all come to life as someone who hasn't hasn't even like personally experienced something relatively like that. Um, I was able to put myself in those shoes and people responded so well to it. And after that, I felt incredibly confident in being able to do more shows with my school so actually my sophomore spring I think I didn't really like the musical they picked for the theater program so I didn't audition for that and I ended up trying lacrosse because I was like oh I've always wanted to try lacrosse might as well do it now I sucked at lacrosse um newsflash of course but the following year I did the winter one acts again And I loved it again. I continued to get bigger roles in a bunch of the one acts. I did both like lighthearted, more like comedic roles and then also serious again. Um, And I think this year or maybe it was the following year, um, me and one of my good friends, Sam, who actually went to like my rival school, which is so funny. um, She pretty much was my daughter and... I was her mom and she was having these really awful nightmares 
or something along the lines of really bad nightmares. And I was really trying to do everything I could to soothe her. Um, And I think this whole one act was like a symbol of like a kid going through an illness and the parent trying to comfort them. I forget. It was definitely a metaphor for something or analogy for something, but it was also just a very serious topic and people received that really well. So I was like, okay, let's do this thing. I'm going to finally audition for the the spring musical, which was The Sound of Music. Unfortunately, a tragedy happened at my school um, that semester in the winter. So a lot was going on, but I, I knew I was like in this the memory of what had happened and trying to move forward. Um, you know, everything going on at my school, a lot of people were going through a hard time. I was like, okay, this is the time for me to audition for Sound of Music. I think I could bring personality to this. Like, I can't doubt myself. I just need to do it. Just do the damn thing. And I ended up auditioning, auditioning for one of the nuns because I was like, oh, you know, this is similar to what I did, I guess, like in drama camp at the beginning, you know, I would kind of audition for a small role and then work up to like a bigger role, you know, like I haven't been with the program for the last two years. So I know all of these people who have, you know, they're no longer rookies, they're they're going to get the bigger roles. So let me just step back. And boy, was that a mistake. But you know what, I think fate really brought me to this point there was a girl who had been playing Mother Superior, which if you don't know Sound of Music, that's the main nun who has like a lot of solos and things going on and a lot of lines. She had some personal conflict come up so she could no longer be Mother Superior. So Sister Margareta's role had to step in for Mother Supreme. So I really hope that it's Mother Supreme because if I'm butchering that, I'm going to be so embarrassed. But so she stepped in for that large nun role. And so they were looking for someone to step in as Sister Margareta because she still had solos. She still had like lines, not as much as like the main nun, but she still had a bunch of stuff to do. So they were asking around and they asked me and I'm like, okay, I don't know why you're asking me. I'm a low alto and I haven't been in the theater program. Plus this range is literally one of like a soprano one, like a high soprano. So I was like, I don't know who the fuck you're talking to, but I felt like it was a sign for me and I just had to take it, take it by the balls and run with it. So I accepted the role And I ended up playing Sister Margareta in my ridiculous nun costume, which was crazy and such a good experience for me to get comfortable in like a real production, like as like an actual adolescent, like I was no longer a child and just growing into myself in boarding school. People received it really well. And the following year, I did the Winter One X again, had great success again, and that was fabulous. And then I was like, of course, there's no way I'm not going to do my senior musical. And senior year we did We Will Rock You, which is pretty much, I don't even know how to explain the plot, guys. Like I couldn't even do it if I tried. It was so convoluted and made no sense. But pretty much um, there's this uh, evil character named 
killer queen who is trying to take away all of like the rock and roll music all these like great like legendary songs and everything including you know queen style music so she's trying to take over the world and make it like very technical technologically advanced and hack into everything so it's kind of futuristic but the main premise is that killer queen is trying to take away rock and roll and so i'm like okay i have a low alto voice killer queen needs to sing another one bites the dust like she does a really low alto voice so why the fuck should i not you know even just try to audition like Why would I reject myself before someone else is rejecting me? That's something I'm going to touch on later when I talk about Rachel Berry's character. But so I auditioned. I auditioned with Easy As Life. I think that's what you say from Ida. And I had actually never really heard of that song before, but I was looking up all of these low alto songs that would really accentuate my voice and how well my voice my vocal range really matched with the character. And so once I auditioned with that song, I actually blinked on some of the lyrics because I was so fucking nervous. But it ended up working out and I still, like, I really, you know, messed up maybe just a few things and killed it with, you know, like, the belting and all those things that Killer Queen really needed um, in her role. And so I was called back to sing some lines And then pretty much what happens is I think the next day or so I find out I'm cast as killer queen and it is such a girl boss moment. I'm freaking out. I'm like, how the hell am I going to be a literal, like one of the stars of the show? It's so crazy. And I was also praising like whatever Lord. I was like, thank goodness killer queen does not have to dance as much as other characters because my dancing was not the strongest. But the acting and singing were solid. So I was like, okay, I am so psyched for this. I like can't do anything wrong. Like it's going to be amazing. And so that musical ended up being such, such a success and such like a confidence booster for me because after performing that, I got an influx of compliments from people I had never even spoken to or people that knew me including like professors were emailing me and saying, Gretchen, you have to pursue this in your future. You are made for the stage, which is something I didn't even really think of of myself. I thought, you know, I'm pretty good at this, but there are definitely people who are more skilled. So I definitely kind of like withheld myself from thinking that. But after this show, I had like my best friends from home come Um, my best friends from school were also involved in the show with me. So like we really had a moment where we were all just celebrating each other and so happy for each other. And it was just such a confidence booster to be able to step into that role and think, oh my God, I have to do this perfectly. What if I mess up? And then everything just went according to plan. And, you know, obviously no musical is absolutely perfect. So there are definitely times where things were not 100% perfect, but I definitely killed the role and that is something I will literally never forget. And Killer Queen was pretty much my Rachel Berry era. I had to step into that role and act like the queen of everything. Like I run this bitch that no one could tell me nothing. I mean, at the end, 
okay, spoiler alert for We Will Rock You, at the end she dies. Or she's like disintegrated or whatever, goes away. But pretty much Killer Queen had to be the queen of everything. To be an intimidating goth, she wore like leather. I had this crazy hair and makeup, like black lipstick. Like people looked at me on the stage and afterwards were like, holy crap, Gretchen, I didn't even know that was you until I read the playbill. Like you were incredible and like fully were immersed in that role. Like I'm so impressed. And so like that's honestly what like a good actor does. And I feel like relating this now to Rachel Berry, I think that stepping into a role like that where you really have to be immersed and like put yourself into that person's shoes and like just give it your all and like not have any doubt in your mind is such a great thing to do in your life in terms of really pushing your comfort zone and seeing what you're capable of. And I have absolutely no regrets in doing that. And that will be something that I definitely tell my kids and people I meet. Like whenever I think of a core memory, that is definitely one of them and definitely my Rachel Berry core memory. Okay, guys. So the next segment, we'll be talking about a little deep dive, psychoanalysis kind of breakdowns of what makes Rachel Berry a great character and a not great character and what we can learn from her. You might laugh because every time I sign my name, I put a gold star after it, but it's a metaphor and metaphors are important. (laughs) Okay, guys. So now starts the last segment of this episode, how to be and how not to be a Rachel Berry. I think that Rachel Berry symbolizes a lot of things in growing up, coming of age, especially if you're someone who is kind of growing into themselves, didn't really have like the best role models and all that sort of deal. Um, Rachel Berry, if you don't know, her character grew up with two gay dads. She didn't know her mom until she eventually realizes that her mom is Adele Dazeem. I mean, Adina Mazel. And pretty much she realizes her mom is also an incredible singer, an incredible performer, and is literally just like her. Um, And then ultimately, it's really cute. Her mom comes back to the Glee season and she starts helping her actually prepare to be funny girl in the show. So that's super cute and fun. But yeah, we're going to kind of just get into it. Um, There's a lot of funny things about Rachel Berry and really iconic lines that she has. Um, But I'm just going to start off with this one that I transitioned with. My gold stars are a metaphor for me being a star. Pretty much what I want to say with this one is that sometimes you just got to be a know-it-all. And that's what Rachel Berry is. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she's a know-it-all. And she owns it. And you know what? I feel like when we're younger, we're told, like, don't be a know-it-all. Like, be humble. Like, listen for other people's advice, listen to elders, you don't know anything yet because you're so young. But Rachel Berry knows her shit. She literally studies Broadway shows like the Bible or the Torah in her case because she's Jewish. And when she knows her shit, she owns it. And I like this girl is so confident 
almost to a fault, but honestly, it's what makes her character so incredible and iconic at the same time because she is someone that stands up for what's right, even to an annoying point, but she is always vocal about her beliefs and what she sees to be true because she knows that she's educated and talented, so she owns her shit. Um, Going off of this, one thing that I think Rachel kind of has a fault with, but then ultimately as her character develops, she kind of starts to get over this, but she has one fault with trying to get other people to understand her or to like her so hard. So obviously with Glee, she always has to perform for others. She has to kind of prove herself to... Um, everyone else in the Glee Club and to Schuster to kind of get her solos but sometimes you just kind of need to like not force things to happen and not force people to try to understand you so hard because they'll never understand you like they'll never be able to fully put themselves in your shoes and I think sometimes Rachel would kind of struggle with that internally And also sometimes she would just be doing way too much to try to prove that she was better than Mercedes or Naya, um, which is, uh, oh my God, I'm literally blanking on her name. That is so embarrassing. Guys, I'm so sorry. Naya Rivera, please. Oh my God, guys. Santana. Wow, how did I just forget that? I'm so sorry. But pretty much with Rachel Berry, This is my first kind of pillar. When you know your shit, own it. Like, do not have any doubt in your mind. If someone else tries to tell you, oh, you're trying to pursue, like, becoming an actress, you know they make no money, right? Literally shut them up in your head and go off on them in your head and just smile. Be like, I appreciate that. Thanks. Or, like, thanks for the advice. And then just turn a blind eye to the people who literally know nothing about what they're talking about and sometimes just want to hear their own mouths run. I think that's what Rachel's great about. Sometimes people are really discouraging of her dreams, but she just runs with her dreams literally throughout the whole show. Like, And then she gets what she wants. She becomes funny girl. So it's really a full circle thing. And now the second kind of pillar that I have is... It's similar to the phrase, like, if he wanted to, he would, but kind of like, if they wanted to understand you, they would. So instead of trying to force people to understand who you are and feel like the world is against you and nobody's ever going to get you, literally just let it go. Let it all go because you can't control every single person's perceived version of you it's literally impossible and you're going to drive yourself nuts by trying to do that so what I'll just say to that end is that I read this thing in a book and pretty much it goes people always insert their own illusioned version of who they think you are onto you which most of the time is just based off of their own form of insecurities and traumas so It's really just the people who really know you the most are the closest with you and see different sides of you that are the ones whose opinions really matter and who know what's good for you. 
Sometimes, even with that, you just know what's good for yourself. And you're your own best friend and own advocate, like I've said before. But this is pretty much why when, say, a parent or a long-term best friend doesn't like a certain person that you're friends with or a new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it may be, this is a sign that that person probably isn't actually great for you and they see something from an objective standpoint of knowing who you are on an intimate and like authentic level and they could see that that person doesn't align with that authentic version of yourself. So that's just what I've experienced in my own life. I feel like the people closest to you really can tell at the end of the day if you know, a new partner or a new friend isn't right for you. So kind of just follow those signs. I know it's very hard when you're kind of immersed in that, but that is my advice with that. Okay, and now the next part is kind of just going off of how much Rachel Berry is annoying and stubborn in her beliefs at times, but she does not stop until she's proud. She will rehearse for hours and hours on end, driving herself insane, which sometimes is a little much, but she is always willing to do what she has to to prove herself to others against all odds. So that's my third pillar. You really have to prove yourself to others against all odds. But sometimes you can do that privately. You don't have to be public about it. A lot of people say or believe in the saying, you know, work in silence, make the accomplishment or whatever it may be, be the noise. So you don't always need to be constantly updating people trying to prove, you know, this project's in the works, like you should be rooting for me. You know what? Work in silence, protect your peace and let those accomplishments and that success be your noise because I think Sometimes Rachel would try too hard to prove herself, but at other times, you really just have to show people you know what you're made of and just keep going and motivate yourself until you're proud with that version of yourself that you're showing. And with Rachel, she had a sworn enemy, Sue Sylvester, and sometimes you might have someone that you might view as like competition or like a hater or whatever it may be. And with Rachel Berry, honestly, I would just say her as an example, use your haters as fuel to energize you and to motivate you further. Sue was literally always doing anything she could to prank Rachel, to send Rachel in the wrong direction. And ultimately, it made Rachel so much less naive and more like cognizant of what she was doing and how she was going to be successful. And I think honestly that prepared her a lot for the competitive entertainment world. Because, you know, she was a small time girl from, I think their school is in like Ohio or somewhere really small. I forget. But Rachel wasn't really prepared for that like big Apple atmosphere. Like when she went to her performing arts school, she wasn't really prepared for like the amount of competition and the amount of other really talented people she'd be faced with. And so I think Sue was just one example of someone that could really fuel her to be that better version of herself and to constantly evolve with the times. Okay, 
Now, the next pillar is going to be about who gives a fuck what other people think if you're doing what makes you happy. Sometimes, like I said before, Rachel would think too much about what other people thought of her. She also would really, you know, pin herself against other girls, see them as competition and all that. But honestly, at the end of the day, you're only competing against yourself. So like who gives a fuck about the other people, about all the outside noise, about what other people think you're doing or think about you and perceive you? Who cares about any of that background noise if you're not doing what makes you happy? At the end of the day, what's going to fulfill you is doing what you love, doing what makes you happy. Rachel always knew that singing and performing was her passion. Like that was the core of who she was. She knew she had to do that. That was literally what she was living and breathing for every day. And it gave her so much joy. So I think at the end of the day, even with the slushies and all that she was faced with, all the bullying and ridicule, Rachel never really considered quitting Glee Cub because she was way too damn passionate. Like there was no way. She just had a fire lit under her ass. And I think that's kind of the great thing about her is that like, even though sometimes she would get bogged down, at the end of the day, she would just be able to say, you know what, I'm passionate about this. She would just do her own thing as much as there would be haters around her. And like literally, even when Glee Club didn't have money, they couldn't really get like transportation to sectionals and like all this other stuff with their set getting ruined. Like the other club or the other Glee Club, I think, stole their song or something happened. She was able to kind of go with it and make a solution for herself. And so I think that's literally one of the best things about her. Like, even though sometimes she wasn't good under pressure, she was doing what made her happy. And so she was just determined to make it work, which is honestly really admirable. Okay, guys, almost done here. But one of the final kind of pillars I have about Rachel Berry is that she would advocate for herself again and again. I've talked about this and I touched on this earlier. But one great thing about her is that with, you know, her gold stars and all, she would not reject herself before someone else had even given her a rejection letter. She would apply for all these different programs, all do all these different songs, challenge herself constantly, constantly, constantly. She would get bullied for literally doing the most, but she would never stop herself from that challenge. So I feel like the great thing about her is she's an example of you literally might as well try out something new because you don't know what the hell could happen. You might end up being so incredible at it and you wouldn't even know until you just tried it out. So that's something Rachel really does a lot and is fabulous at. And okay, closing off with this segment, the last pillar which I think is the most important of them all and what really just makes Rachel Rachel is she embraced her origin story. So she grew up with two dads. She was constantly ridiculed for her nose and her Judaism. She would embrace who she was 
constantly. She did not give a fuck what anyone would say as an insult because she knew who she was and she wouldn't let people bully her and hold her back because of, you know, those insults. They didn't know who she was at her core. She knew herself the best. To this day, Leah Michelle knows herself the best, but she would never let, like I said before, that background noise of other opinions, other thoughts, other people's insecurities get to her and ruin that image of who she knows herself to be at the end of the day. Each one of us, we all have our own origin story. And honestly, that's what motivated me to start this podcast. I think I have a unique origin story and really unique upbringing and what got me to where I am today and continue to grow every day. But you cannot forget that childhood version of yourself and, you know, the version of yourself who dealt with all these hardships. Even though you've come out stronger, you cannot forget that girl. I think every single time Rachel would get on a stage, literally don't rain on my parade is one example. She would just use all the fire lit under her ass from her haters, just sorrow she would face. She's always an empath. So I really feel like she let all these emotions she's experienced kind of build up and she would convey them through her performances. And that's what makes her such an incredible, iconic character. So that's kind of the moral of the story. Um, Embrace your own personal origin story and who you know yourself to be, especially, you know, that childlike version of yourself. Never let that die out because that is the person you are at your core. Even though now you're grown, you'll always be that childhood version of yourself. So might as well let her shine. That concludes the episode for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for all the support again. Love you all so much and see you next week.